Welcome to the Mama Needs a Moment podcast. We're your hosts, Cindy and Chrissy, co-founders of Her Health Collective. We are two moms obsessed with changing the ideals and expectations of motherhood. Every other week, we dive into the topics that matter to moms most, answering your most pressing questions as we learn from top-notch experts, swap stories, tap into our creative sides, and advocate for the causes that moms truly care about. All while hanging with your mom friends. We are so glad you're here. Let's dive in. Welcome back to Mama Needs a Moment. Thank you for taking a moment with us. I'm bouncing out of my seat right now because I know you're going to love this episode where we are joined by Catherine Andrew. Catherine is a registered dietitian with a master's degree in public health and practices using a functional nutrition approach. We have been honored and beyond grateful to have Catherine as a Her Health Collective supporter and expert panelist both last year and this year, where she provides invaluable insight within our roundtables and written content for public access on our website. We took a deep dive with Catherine in this episode and discussed so many things, such as the most common struggle moms come to her with, her method of helping clients, mitigating stress, what she's currently struggling with as a mom, what she suggests to moms who are attempting to instill in their children a positive relationship with their bodies, and how she's accomplishing this in her own family. We hope you enjoy. We're going to get started with some rapid fire questions, and they're not even really rapid fire questions. We say that every time, and we end up talking through them because we're just so interested in getting to know our guest. But the idea is to just say what pops into your head. Fill in the blank. Motherhood is hard. Mm -hmm. (laughs) Oh, yeah. No doubt about that. Well, we we could keep going. Do we, how many words do we want here? Like, do you have another one? All the adjectives. Oh yeah. I mean, you name it like exhausting, thrilling, joyful, filling yeah. the extremes, one extreme or the other, usually. <laughs> Cleanest room in your house. Amazingly. It's not the room I'm in. It's probably actually my kitchen right now. I, I tend to like, like to keep things tidy and I spend a lot of time in the kitchen. And so that tends to be the room that gets picked up the quickest and the most often or mom's not happy. So the kids don't destroy it? Oh, they destroy it. But then they also pick it up and I pick it up with them. But it's a, their bedrooms are like off limits, right? So they look awful. But my kitchen is usually relatively clean. So yeah. Yeah. That's, that's great that you're able to maintain that because. It's all I got. Just that one space. (laughs) That's it. Nothing else. (laughs) I don't ask for anything else. I just ask for that space. What is bringing your life sanity right now? Mm, my husband is probably generally the answer. He has like the most wonderful and, and also annoying at times, like peaceful composition. And so he is, he, when you say sanity, I feel like that's what brings sanity to all of our household is my husband and his demeanor. How does that compare to your own personality? Oh, I'm not that at all. I'm the opposite. <laughs> I'm like hard, fast or slow, low or irritated or happy. I'm, I'm much more uh, your Enneagram eight extremes. And he, you know, he's the kind of person that like a kid gets hurt and I freak out and he like immediately goes into like, everything's good. We're all calm. We're all good. Right. Which has its benefits. It also drives me crazy at times. If, and if anyone has a spouse like that, they know. Yeah, I, I do. Yeah. Where you're like, and sometimes I need you to act a little like, like it's, it's important or maybe something's a little dangerous here. It's not. Give me some urgency. Like show me it's important. That's right. (laughs) Women like drama sometimes, right? Like, like like it helps me not be more dramatic if you're dramatic sometimes. So all that to say. Well, that's great that you guys balance each other. Good balance for sure. Good team. What do you look for in a mom friend? Uh, I, I would say authenticity first, right? Like someone that's willing to be real and authentic with me. I'm probably above all else for sure. Yeah. 
It's a very common answer. And we love hearing that because that's what we strive for so much with our group. One thing you'd like to learn. Oh, like in general, a skill or a talent. Uh, I've been, I, I already know somewhat. I, no, that's not the right word. I enjoy art. I, so I'm always, I would love, I always love expanding my different modes of art and different ways to paint. And so I would say as far as want right now, that would be a fun one, would be learning new art skills. And do you, do you gravitate towards any particular type? So I taught ceramics all through high school and college, uh, but I don't do it anymore. It's not something that I have access to here. So I'd say mostly I paint and it's not for anyone's pleasure, but my own. <laughs> I, don't, I don't give it away. I don't sell it. I, that's not true. My sister-in-law family have some of it. It does. It's one of the few things that really helps me chill out and just not even stop the running of my mind and help me kind of just get out of my own head sometimes. So. I love learning things about our guests. I didn't know that about you. Who knew that you taught ceramics? I <laughs> know. It's a random old skill. I mean, you say that and now I'm like, I am 22 years out of that age. So like that was a while ago. <laughs> that was not anytime recently, but it was in my past. We'll put it that way. Yeah. What are you reading or watching right now? Um, I'm reading a book I love. I can't remember the name though. It's in my bedroom. I could go get it, but on raising teenage girls. You're going to have to get back to us on yeah, that. Really good. A friend told me about it. Gosh, I can't think of it. That would be really helpful if I could think of it, but I'll let you know. Cindy, you're, you're getting close to that. Yes, it's, yeah. it's <laughs> happening. I don't have a teenager either. So I was like, I'm not ready for this, but it's actually been fascinating and like really helpful to read it and be like, oh, this is where this is coming from. So, and I'm not much of a reader. I wish I were, but I'm usually like, you know, end of the day, just done. Like I, I pass out. So otherwise I would say I'm reading, I I'm a nerd. I love to read more about what I do. So I'm reading about hormones and digestion and um, fueling fitness and all of the things that I talk with people about all day. If anything, in my spare time, I'm reading um, yeah. types of things. Well, our oldest daughters are the same age. That's Your right. oldest is just turned 11, right? That's right. Going yeah. into middle school. So, uh -huh. and my oldest is turning 11 at the end of the month going into middle school. So put me on speed dial. We're going to have to your <laughs> picture in a few minutes. <laughs> How do you picture your empty nest days? That feels really far away. I don't really picture that far. I, I'm, I'm a worrier. So I try, I've learned in my adult ages, not to think too far in the future, that it doesn't really help me to, to think about the future too much. Cause then I end up spinning my wheels and thinking planning things that are out of my control. So to be honest, I don't really think about that very much. I mean, right off the top of my head, it sounds delightful, but that's about all I can give you. <laughs> right. Well, if you take worrying and then the future, that's essentially what anxiety is. Right. <laughs> so we right. would be putting you into a state of anxiety. I don't do that to myself. I know myself well enough not to go there. Well, good for you. I, I tend to worry about the future an awful lot, but I also love picturing and planning the future. I'm a planner. So it's a double-edged sword, I guess. Okay. Hey, can go both ways. So that's great. Catherine, you are a functional registered dietitian. What the heck does that mean? Lots of big words. It can mean a million things, right? So I think part of the problem is there's not a great way to define what it is that I do. I wish there were better words that more accurately captured what I do. I would say to start, I'm a registered dietitian, which means that I've gone through extensive training as a nutritionist. Anyone can call themselves a nutritionist, but uh, only with certain degree and certain training and testing can you be a registered dietitian. So it's kind of like that extra layer of knowledge and training. And then I consider myself different than many nutritionists, certainly historically in that that's where the functional piece comes in. So when I think about functional medicine, many people have heard of functional medicine at this point, right? And we think more holistically. So it has to do with the way that your body functions as a whole unit, rather than looking at separate pieces individually. So same idea with nutrition is that, um, I often catch people off guard when I ask about things like bowel movements and hormones and you name it, all kinds of detailed information, because to me, it is part of that bigger picture and how I help them become healthier 
uh, is not just to help them with one little part of that as it relates to food. So I guess that's where the, the title comes in, right? In the sense that I am sort of trying to integrate all different parts of your health, both your mental and your physical health. Now, how did you wind up pursuing a career as a dietitian? Has this always been an interest to you? I, you know, partly, I don't know. It, it's been kind of one thing after the next, but I would say looking back on the steps that got me here in college, I studied psychology, but specifically cognitive science. So like brain science, essentially, I, I never really knew what I would do with that, but it's amazing how much I actually use that now. And it comes in handy in terms of the way that we think about things and the way that the way we think about things affects our physical health. And I could get into that for days, right? Just the, the kind of the mind processing and what that actually does in our physical sense. So it started there. Also, uh, you know, certainly credit my family and my mom. I grew up in Florida. We ate fabulously. My mom loved to cook. So I always loved food. I can, I have strong memories of picking limes and oranges from the backyard. You know, so there was always, food was always part of our lives and a big part of our lives. We all loved to celebrate as many of us do with food. So I think kind of combining those things, I worked for years as a waitress, right? And in, in kitchens and that helped kind of like reemphasize this idea of food, but taking it deeper into like, how can this be life-changing for people? And that's where I feel like nutrition comes in to play. I find it so fascinating just taking something and then just diving deeper into it and how people get into certain professions. It's just so wonderful. I love hearing about it. I have a question for you. It's, it's actually going to be quite a big generalization But I'm really interested in in hearing what you have to say. Your clientele, you see a lot of moms that come in and speak with you. What is the most common struggle that they come to you with? And when they, they come to see you, what often is your advice to them? So the first part, I think I can answer a lot easier than the second part. And interestingly, there's actually two parts to that question that I might answer. You know, what people come to me for versus what they their biggest struggle are, are different things. So I would say nine out of 10 or more people come to me because of weight, because they don't like the way their bodies look. Now, not everyone wants to lose weight necessarily. Some, many people, I feel like thankfully recognize that they want to better respect their body and you know, learn what that means and what that looks like in their lives. And then a fair number of people would like to change their body, right? Would like to change their body composition. So I would say that's what people come to me for, but that's not what I offer necessarily. So I would say that you said their biggest struggle, right? Was the the way that we worded that question. If I had to take it down to one thing, it would be stress, right? So I think what burdens many of us, particularly mothers, is that we have too many things on our plate and on our minds and that we're running too fast and too hard to keep up with physically and mentally as far as like ways that I support them is is trying to help kind of one by one figure out where we can make their lives and their their diets less stressful, right? And I don't mean diet as in a program, but what they eat, right? How can I help them eat in a way that's actually going to nourish them and support them and minimize stress on their bodies? How can I help them think in a way that's going to do the same thing? How can I help them move and be active and include physical activity in their weeks and in their days in a way that's not going to be stressful on their bodies? And ultimately, all these things often help someone change their body composition, but that's never my primary goal. So I always like to think of body composition as a symptom, right? So particularly weight gain is a symptom that something is off. And I think in our culture, we all agree that it has been given way too much value and put too, you know, too much emphasis has been put on weight as the primary cause when really I think there's a lot deeper causes to many of our health conditions. So I'm trying to help people figure out what you know, I I hear you say and want to change this, but what's at the root of this symptom? What is causing your body composition to change? And then at the same time, how do I help you think about health more holistically so that it's not solely focused or even mostly focused on body composition and weight? I love that your focus 
is not on weight. I, I, Cindy and I are, we talk about that all the time and we're very big on that, that there, there's so many other factors at play and so many other things that deserve our attention when we're looking at our overall health and well-being. You specifically, you mentioned busy moms, which yeah. we, we all know very well. And I, I think that you're right, that that is one of the biggest struggles when we think about our health and wellness is balancing it all. Like before you hopped on the call, Cindy came on and, and just said, I'm really struggling to fit in self-care in, in life right now. And I was nodding in agreement because I felt the same. And I think that that's a running theme for moms. You recently did an article for us on herhealthcollective.com where you shared something that I think is brilliant. And I've tried to start implementing it in my own home. You talk about meal mapping and we so often hear about food planning and meal prepping and and all these things that we can do to make our our kitchen healthier and our meals healthier. But there's, there's something special about meal mapping and it's something you often suggest your clients try. Can you tell us a little bit about what meal mapping is and why you think it's such a good solution for busy moms? And that's a great segment for my last answer, right? So thank you for (laughs) making that easy. Because I think one of the things that we make too complicated is is dinners in particular meals, but dinners, right? I think it's died down a little bit, but how often we have this pressure to make a Pinterest worthy dinner almost every night to, to sort of appease all the different eaters in our homes to address all the different diets that we should or shouldn't be following. Right. And so there's kind of this constant barrage of multiple inputs when it comes to making dinner. So as far as like reducing and stress and figuring out how to navigate that, I think one thing that mothers can and and maybe would be helpful to do is to not make dinner so complicated. So that's where this idea of meal mapping is is born of, right? In the sense that the way that you can certainly read about it on the article, but the way that I like to think about meals is more like templates. And so I, I use the word templates or types of meals and encourage clients to think about identifying a handful or and that could be different for each family, depending on how sick you get of things quickly, but a handful of types of meals that you can rotate such that there's sort of repeating ingredients. So I know, for example, I'm always going to have a Mexican themed dinner once a week, right? But in order for us not to get sick of it, sometimes it's tacos, sometimes it's taco salad, salad. Sometimes it's nachos. Sometimes it's bowls, rice bowls. Right. But that means I almost always have salsa. I always have corn tortillas. I always have some sort of bean in the pantry. Right. So there are some staples that I can keep on hand and I can make kind of tiny tweaks here and there or major tweaks to let's say I use shrimp instead of ground turkey, or I use ground bison, or I use ground beef, right? So I can switch up the protein, I can switch up the way that I'm cooking it, but my mind doesn't have to work overtime in terms of coming up with a new meal. So the idea of meal mapping is sort of mapping out your week rather than identifying specific recipes that I have to follow and look up and have all the ingredients for, but rather learning some sort of techniques and types of recipes that work for your family that you can repeat over and over. It's similar, you know, we do this with breakfast. A lot of us do, right? Like we have a lot of, a lot of times the same breakfast from morning to morning, right? So we have eggs and toast or we have cereal or we have, you know, like we all kind of have similar repeating. We have smoothies and maybe we have one or two types of breakfast that we go back and forth between until we get tired of them and then we move on. And yet with dinner, we try to make it so complicated. And so it's kind of returning to the basics and and helping people identify what are four or five types of meals that you can rotate every week or every other week such that you don't have to think so hard about what's for dinner every night. You know, that is so true. I have a smoothie five mornings a week. And then I make this like egg sandwich thing the other two mornings when I'm sick of the smoothie, but like, that's pretty much my morning. Why, why do you think that is? What, what is it about dinner that we've attached to? Is it like, it's just very interesting. Is that a societal thing? That's a good question. I haven't really dug into why that is. Some people I work with like, are like, well, this, is that enough variety? But really, I don't think that's where it comes from. I don't think people are that in tune with trying to get variety. I, that's a great question. I don't know that I've ever really thought about it. And I don't know that I expect an answer. I just like the sociology of it is very interesting to me. Like, huh, why are we so attached to dinners being, and that's true in my house. I'm constantly looking at different recipes and how can I try different things? It's just very interesting. And I feel like that, then you add like mom guilt to that, right? So when I don't, then I have this extra layer of guilt 
not to mention, I spend a lot of time making a new dinner, a creative new recipe. And what do you know? No one wants to eat it. And now I'm pissed. And so I'm going to eat all your leftovers because you didn't eat it. And I just spent an hour making this recipe. Right. So there's all these kind of like fallouts. So I have a rule in my house where I don't use a new recipe until the weekends, right? Like I, I do not even allow myself to, to try a new recipe because I don't have the mental capacity to like read and then think about a new recipe midweek, right? So use the weekends to be creative or to explore, to try new flavors and then find some, you know, maybe you incorporate one of those into the week once you identify that it's going to work. But I rarely encourage people to start, start new projects on a Tuesday or something like that. Such a great suggestion yeah. because last night I had that exact experience that you just talked about. Right. I had limited ingredients mm-hmm. in, in the cupboard and I was like, what can I do with this? So I was like, right. I will make an Asian themed meal, which my kids have never had. So it was chicken with these, these ramen noodles right. in a sauce. And I don't, I'm a vegetarian, so I don't even yeah. eat it. So it was mainly for the three other members of my family and I made it and there's, what is this? And I mean, just the stress that's along with that and making sure that you set aside a little bit plain chicken so that they don't not eat. That's right. Or when you make something that they liked two days ago and all of a sudden they don't like it anymore. (laughs) I mean, we all have stories, right? Like, I mean, it is, that is probably the one thing you can get mothers going on is making dinner and fails, right? Like indoor, you know, but there's just so many elements to it. Like a huge part of the meal mapping relies as well on like being prepared. Right. So I do think it's not like that type of cooking doesn't just happen. Right. But instead of focusing on what recipes am I making? I'm making sure that I go to the grocery store once a week and, and, or I have food delivered and I have kind of like the ingredients ready to go for any one of those meals I might choose. Great idea. Love that. I have a thought. Uh, hi, I'm Alana. So, you know, we're talking about like, why is dinner so different than all the rest of our meals? We haven't even talked about lunch, but like exactly, you know, breakfast, lunch, whatever, snacking, but dinner, there's like all this emphasis and I wonder if it comes from like, that's like family meal time. I don't know. Growing up, my mom made dinner and that was the time that everybody sat down. You didn't get to get up until you were done. And it was just this focus. And we are doing that in our house where, you know, everybody's together for dinner. We all like do breakfast and lunch and whatever on our own, but like dinner's like family time and it's extremely stressful but I feel like that's where our society has put the emphasis on a family unit gathering. For sure, Alana. Thanks for sharing. That's a great point. I agree. I actually think that's one thing that was really nice about quarantine that I heard from many moms is that they were able to switch the family meal to like lunch occasionally or, and some people do this great on the weekends, right? You might have like brunch instead of feeling like you have to put the pressure on dinner. And then what do you know? I can cook what I want for dinner and give you something simple, right? I think that's a great point, Alana, in terms of how we've emphasized dinner differently. We have dropped the S-bomb several times. And with that, I mean the word stress. (laughs) We said stress a lot. That's been floating around. And you often speak about the best ways to nourish the body and mind during stressful times. You have the the meal mapping, which you just discussed, which can help ease stress. What are some of your suggestions and how effective are they at truly mitigating stress going beyond the, the meal mapping? I, how effective are they? I'm not sure I can answer that, but my suggestions, I, I mean, there's hard ones and there's easy ones, right? So I think the hard ones are like figuring out, are there things you can take out of your schedule? Are there things that you can deprioritize? Are there ways you can ask for help? Please, every mother out there, we all would be better if we asked for more help, right? And so, you know, are there things you can say no to? Again, beauty of last year was that everyone kind of took some deep breaths and realized they didn't need all these things on their calendar and it did free up some space for mental health and for meal prepping and all these other things. So I think that's, you know, one of the sort of underlying questions that I have people ask themselves. I love breath work. I think it's something available to all of us. And it's not, I mean, there are certainly all kinds of like, you could go to a sauna and you can, there's all kinds of like other ways to sort of 
address stress and support stress. And, and many of us have access to those, but something that we all have access to is working on deep breathing. And it's to me like a gateway into meditation. It's, it's easier, right? It's, it's more approachable. I can do, I, you know, if you've worked with me before, you know that I often emphasize we're practicing taking three or five deep breaths before you eat, right? So one of the best times to minimize stress is before you're about to eat a meal. If you're in this fight or flight stress mode, your body uses food dramatically different than if you're in a rest and digest mode. And it does different things to your blood sugar. And there's all kinds of different, again, physical changes that happen when our minds are running over time. So even just sitting down, I have my whole family, we say a blessing, but then we also breathe before we eat. And amazingly, my kindergartner is the best at stopping and, and just doing like three or more deep, deep breaths and really like feeling your whole body come down a little bit. And sometimes it's a trick. Sometimes my mind is still running, but a lot of times I think that's a great way for people to start is not just to see the reminder on your Apple watch, but actually to like stop and do 30 seconds of breathing. Other things I think, you know, it's interesting part of our culture is obsessed with exercise and feels like there has to be this consistent all, all the time over exercising and then other people struggle to move much at all. So it tends to go one way or the other, but there is a, a healthy balance there. So as far as stress goes, as it relates to movement, I like to think of not overdoing it or underdoing it. And that's different for everyone. But you know, certainly looking for signs. Am I sleeping well? Am I, as my sex drive plummeted? Are there things that are showing me that maybe I'm overdoing it or that I, you know, is my mental health, am I low? Am I tired all the time? Maybe I need to get up and walk some more. So again, trying to find the balance there and same would go for food. So instead of cutting out major food groups or falling in, you know, pray to dieting in the sense that we go extremes. It's trying to figure out what is something I can do for a long while, right? I don't like to say forever, but really for, for years on end, is this something that I could keep up with that I could enjoy doing? And I think that is how we try to find ways that are less stressful on the body as it relates to food. There's more details there, but I would say trying to you know, as, as awful as it sounds, I do think balance is something I help people achieve and looking for like, what does it mean to eat a balanced meal for me? How, you know, what are the nutrients that I need to be focused on getting a little more of in order to displace the other things? I love, love, love that you took that question and took it beyond food. Because when you say, can you speak about ways to nourish the body and mind, automatically people would go towards food to say, well, food nourishes my mind, food nourishes my body. Right. But there's so much more. There is. This episode is sponsored by Her Circle, the supportive and welcoming community for moms created by Her Health Collective. Her Circle is a welcoming and supportive community for moms who are passionate about making change for themselves, their families, the community, and the world. Together, this village of women are revolutionizing the way moms take care of themselves. From an active, private online community and the incredible daily chats hosted there, to our many virtual gatherings, including support groups, mom's night out, volunteer opportunities, book club, family adventures, coffee chats, and so much more. We love providing moms the chance to connect and create authentic relationships with one another. The network of experts in her circle are a phenomenal resource and provide great learning experiences for moms on topics ranging from women's health to parenting. We cover the issues that matter to moms the most, from virtual expert Q&As to one-on-one -on -one wellness minute consultations and support groups. We are committed to getting moms in front of the information, experts, and support they need most. To learn more about her circle, head to www.herhealthcollective.com slash her dash circle. We have a limited number of spaces and the doors only open a few times a year. So be sure to add your name to the no obligation waitlist so you are the first to know when the doors officially reopen.
Catherine, we touched on in a little bit, this concept of good and bad. And I, I immediately always go to carbs, you know, this idea that carbs are bad and, and it's just something that our society has become attached to or sweets, sweets, sugar is another one that that's bad. The messages and beliefs that are portrayed in society in regard to what is healthy, such as labels as good and, and bad foods, ideal body sizes, the best workouts. Like right now, it's, it's all the intense hit style workouts, entertainment and media industries idealizing one particular body size. That's all diet culture. That's something that we are starting to hear more about this, this concept of diet culture. Most often, diet culture tells people that they are the problem. If they would just eat and work out a certain way while following this formulaic plan, then they would achieve this most desired physique and they would be more accepted because of that. If they lose weight and gain it back, if they have a specific health problem, um, maybe if they're experiencing body soreness, then it's because of something they're doing wrong. That, that's this message that we're often given. What is different with how you work with your clients and how you help them explore ailments or concerns without them adopting a further sense of insecurity in their ability to manage their own health. Because so many times if we follow that formulaic plan, we kind of reach a point where I don't know how to like leave this plan behind and just live my life once it's done. Right. It's very short term. There's so, so much richness in that question. I, you know, I think my first thought goes, I tend to use a lot of parenting analogies. So I guess this is a good place for that. But, you know, I often think about like if I, we're smart enough to know that with our kids, we can't label them, right? Most of us have learned that like, it's not a good idea to, to label my child as lazy or not a good learner or you name it, right? Any, any of the things that we might think for a moment, but we recognize that, you know, there are times when they can be whining or there are times when their character can sort of annoy us, if you will. But that doesn't mean that's who they are, right? And so instead of focusing on that so much, I think we do a great job at parents on, on exploring and really trying to figure out what's going on in their head, right? So if something's wrong with, with my child, whether it's physical or emotional, or they're doing something at school that I don't understand, right? Then I'm doing my best because I'm not in their head to try and figure out why, right? I'm, I'm really as a parent and you as a parent are stopping and you're trying to understand what is going on in that little mind of theirs that is leading to this choice, right? Like why have they decided to go down this path, whether it's good or bad, like what is, what has led to this, right? And yet we very rarely, especially as women offer ourselves the same compassion, so I think for ourselves, instead, we, we label ourselves as overweight or as broken, or we listen to diet culture tell us that we're doing something good or something bad instead of trying to explore what are the processes, what are the habits, what are the systems that are in place that help me make good decisions and that help me make decisions that don't make me feel as well. So I guess there's a lot to that question, but I always like to start with, with language with clients and, and sort of removing the, the good, bad, the black, white thinking. Um, again, we, I think a lot of us have learned that even if I might have opinions, I'm not going to grow as a human if I only listen to those opinions, right? I always want to be learning. And so really trying to think about food and my body in that way, in that there's no one that has the answer for you or for me, right? And the only way to, to sort of learn what health looks like for me is to slow down and to be present and to pay attention to what's working and what's not working. And to be honest with myself about, yeah, I feel like this isn't great. My sleep sucks right now. So what are some things that I could do to help? And we work through like, you know, can we back up dinner time? Can we support you in getting off screens? Can we change the way you're eating earlier in the day or when you wake up? What are you doing? When are you exercising? Right. So really trying to like explore what's going on that's leading to some of these ailments rather than blaming the person. Right. I don't, I don't rarely ever, I mean, I can't hopefully never blame someone for what's going on, but really look at like what has led to this and how can we change that? Right. And sometimes it's years of 
flawed thinking. For many of us women, it's 20 plus years of being told that carbs are bad or that you name it. I mean, at one point it was fat was bad. And thankfully we've seen enough come out that we're now starting to be a little skeptical that maybe no one really knows what is good or bad. And instead we have to try to figure out what helps me feel my best. So someone said earlier, this idea of nourishment. And I, I think so often when we think of nutrition, we think of nutrients, right? Like we, we go immediately to like good, bad, because we're very much only evaluating a food based on how many, how many nutrients are there. Right. And that's perpetuated by our culture, even by like the grocery stores, right. That, that rank foods based on their nutrients. And when we do that, we miss the bigger picture, right? We miss the point of what brings me joy. What satisfies me? Do I like crunch? Is it salty? Right? Like what are all the aspects of eating that help me maintain a way of eating that feels good and that helps my body thrive rather than simply taking food and breaking it down into to nutrients, Um, so when I think, when I work with clients, I always like to really think about like, what is nourishing for you? And that that's a different question and a different answer for each of us, right? Like, thankfully, I think nourishment and that idea of nourishing has not been bastardized by the diet culture yet, right? And so it is still very much include mental health and physical health. And we recognize there are times when it is nourishing for me to eat a pastry with my kids on a Saturday morning, because that teaches them that that food can be joyful and celebratory. And then there's other times when it makes sense for me to eat a salad because I've eaten a lot of pastries and I don't feel great right now. So as an example, I think there's a lot of different ways to break it down, but starting with, you know, sort of what, what is the goal? And it's not, there's not an answer necessarily. There is certainly not the same answer for everyone. You highlighted perfectly the ways in which you approach your work that is different from most other people in the health and wellness industry, nutritionists, fitness experts, coaches, all all the like. So Catherine, you are a mom of three children Mm -hmm. and our audience is primarily moms. All of us are attempting to instill in our children a positive relationship with their bodies. It's, it's hard work, especially since we are doing this while also struggling ourselves to override the messages of diet culture. Can we talk a little bit about how we as moms begin exploring things like community support, body image, sleep, you mentioned sleep, gut health, and various different food habits, not only with ourselves, but at the same time with our children. And then we'd love to also hear, since you have kids, how you are doing this with your own family. I mean, probably both and how I'm trying to do it. I can't say that I'm doing it well. (laughs) I'm certainly not perfect. I think it starts with helping kids tune out the noise and and explaining to them sometimes what the noise is, like depending on the age, really starting with our kids and teaching them that, that there's marketing and there's media and the same way that we teach them to be careful about devices now, right? Cause they're all, we all know we have to give them some kind of education around that. I think there's some element of teaching my kids that there are people out there that benefit from you going on a diet and that want you to feel bad about yourself or to feel like something needs to change. But second to that, and probably more importantly is, is having the conversation with kids about what is health right? So they're, they're fed a lot of different messages, but mostly I've found in our school system, especially the idea of health is very much segmented or compartmentalized, right? So we get dental health and we get maybe a doctor that comes in and talks about heart health. And then we get uh, someone that comes in and talks about eating fruits and veggies, right? And that doesn't make much sense to kids. So helping them see that health is all of these systems integrated and working with each other, that we really can't treat one part of the body without thinking about the other parts of the body. And I, I love to use examples with kids in this sense. So helping them understand, like, if you eat a lot of candy for Halloween, let's say, like, does that affect how you sleep? And usually they're like, yeah, I notice when I eat pizza too close to bed. Yeah. Like I sleep a little differently. Right. Or, or when I don't eat, do you think a little differently? If you haven't had a meal, let's say the end of the day, are you able to focus as well at school as you are in the beginning of the day when you've just had breakfast, right? Yeah. No, I mean, partly I'm a little done with the day, but helping them see that food kind of affects more systems than just 
what they, I mean, they think of food very much like mouth to poop essentially, which is part of it, but helping them see that there's a lot more there. I talk way too much about poop in our household such that my kids don't even think it's funny anymore because I'm like, did you check your poop today? Right? Like that there's a lot that it can tell you, right? Are you pooping every day? Does that, what does it look like? you know, what are your teeth doing? What, how are you sleeping? How's your energy, right? Are you able to like move throughout the day? Are you in a bad mood all day? Maybe that's because of something you're missing in your diet. So helping them, starting with helping kids understand sort of, or end yourself at the same time, like what, what really is health to me? Like, what does it mean to be healthy? What would that look like? What would that feel like for each of us and going from there? And then Again, I think a lot of it is uh, taking out the language of good and bad and instead praising things like being brave eaters or trying new things or, and, and there's, I'm not saying they have to always try things to be, to be clear, but, you know, exploring foods, listening to their bodies, recognizing when they're hungry. That's a great starting point for kids, right? To, to start, we all know, like we can tell when kids are hungry, but when they reach the age where they're able to say, I'm hungry, like praising that and helping them know the same goes for when I'm full and understanding what that feels like and what that looks like so that it's much more individualized and less sort of broadly taught as good and bad with kids. So I think there's that. Also think there's a bit, as I, as I mentioned earlier about authenticity with friends, right? I don't, I don't think that I should tell my kids everything, but I do think as women, you know, I think it's okay to share with our kids. My opinion is about how diets have harmed us or the ways that like we might've thought about our bodies previously. And now we're learning to really love that part of my body and, and helping them kind of explore different parts of their bodies and think about what they're useful for and why they value those parts of their body rather than simply just following what we see on social media, as far as image equaling good, bad kind of information. You'll probably have to come back. There was so much goodness in that, that answer. I don't want it to seem like I'm clinging to poop. You may have to come back and do a, a tutorial. Uh, uh, well, that sounds a little weird too. <laughs> Here's the tutorial with some poop. Just to talk about what to look for in poop. I mean, we all do it, right? So it would be beneficial. And also perhaps learning the, the correct language or the most beneficial language to use as we try to coach our children to understand what their bodies are saying. A lot of it is intuitive, but sometimes they do lose touch with it, which is. Yeah. So do we, I mean, yeah. that's something else I communicate, right. That like, I don't always know what it feels like to be hungry either. Right. That like, sometimes I just recognize when I get really snappy at you, Oh, that means I'm hungry. Right. And the same goes for them. And sometimes it's me catching myself doing those things and being like, Hey, I just realized I didn't have a snack. And so I'm going to go eat and take care of myself in that way. And then maybe I'll be kinder to you right now. So it's, it's definitely setting the example for sure when we mess up as often as when we get it right, in my opinion. And with pooping, I would say, I mean, we don't need to get into it, but certainly just knowing that like most we, sh we should, I hate the word should, but it is, it is healthy for most of us to be pooping, to have a bowel movement at least once a day. Right. And so that's one thing that some people come to me and they have no idea that for years they've had two bowel movements a week and that wasn't mm -hmm. a good thing. Right. And so, you know, just starting to help kids understand, like, if you don't poop, one day, like maybe it's because of something you ate. Maybe it's because you were really worried about something yesterday. May might've had nothing to do with what you ate, but just to be aware of those types of signs, right? The same way that we're aware of other things, we focus so much on weight and weighing ourselves and, and sort of what I look like and what my bloating feels like. And yet we miss the mark on all these other messages that we're getting from our bodies. The power of poop. <laughs> Noah and I always joke that you start talking about poop a lot if you travel with someone like if you travel extensively poop is yep. something that comes okay. up uh -huh. and then if you have if you have kids like poop is just a regular conversation and apparently if you're talking to Catherine she brings right. up poop a lot <laughs> okay my absolute favorite question to ask our expert guests I think because it lets moms see and know that they're not alone, that these, these experts that we look up to are experiencing a lot of the same things. So I really love asking this question. What is your biggest struggle currently in your role as a mom? I guess I, my, my first thought that comes to mind is that I'm not 
very patient. So I would say that is a personal character flaw in that I don't do a good job of really trying to explore and listen. I want them to, but I don't give them the same measures myself to stop and to really help them figure something out. So I would say I have a child that's a perfectionist and I was a perfectionist, as was my husband. So it should make perfect sense, but it drives me crazy because I have no patience for the way that they fall apart when they don't get the coloring right on their non-assigned piece of pleasure, (laughs) you know, like something like that. So I think it's just being patient. I would say the other like thing that reminds me of is being present that I'm, uh, you know, as someone, as a working mom, I'm thinking a lot, I'm moving a lot, I'm doing a lot. And I do have to be very intentional to stop and to be present with the kids in the afternoons, in the evenings, whenever I'm with them, really to like cut work off and not keep working while I'm around them and really try to define work time versus mom time. And I think it's great for my kids to see me working, but I don't, I don't think that I should be working while I'm also parenting. I don't do good at either when I'm doing that. So that's probably my biggest struggle. It's such a hard balance to walk, especially in light of working from home and, and just all of those challenges now, it, it is really, really hard, A, to practice patience, and then at the last part that you were just talking about, to, to separate working and parenting, and kind of, it's, it's really, really challenging. You mentioned something that made me think, I, I know it's often said that the things that annoy us or make us angry in other people are often those qualities that we ourselves possess. And I can see that with our children. I, I can see that like the thing that drives me crazy about my daughter is the thing that I do as well. So yeah, I, I feel you on all that. <laughs> it's very triggering. It, it triggers me. So my child's anxiety triggers my anxiety. And it's just, it's just this bouncing back and forth. So you just have to remove myself sometimes. away from. Yeah. I think healthy distraction is never a bad thing. (laughs) As long as it's not used too often, I think it's a great option, but yes, it is very triggering. It's like that, you know, the worst thing you want to hear when you recognize yourself and your kids. Or when they start saying something that you say, where'd that come from? And then you say it and you're like, oh my gosh. (laughs) Well, as we begin to start wrapping up our discussion with you, what is one piece of advice you would give to every mom, if you could, when it comes to their nutritional health and well-being? It's not a very easy question, but we'd love to hear what you say. I think I might've said this with the kids. So my same, same answer. I would say to tune out the noise and that takes work. That's not easy. I don't propose that what I'm asking of, of people and of my clients is easy work, but to actually stop and to work on eating and moving and operating in your day in a way that does nourish you and bring you joy, but really to first start by ignoring all the voices, right? Like we have voices in our own homes. We have voices from our parents, from our neighbors, from every time we hop on the phone. And so I think that's, it's hard. I think we live in a culture that's just giving us information left and right. And while I absolutely believe in being your own health advocate, I think it has to start with listening to what your body is saying and then really just trying some things and listen to what happens, right? Be be willing to go outside of what your friend says works for her, but try something and see how it goes and be honest with yourself about whether it's working or not. You know, like the whole keto, low carb, all these things are great examples of they work fine for some people and they're terrible for other people. And usually we know, usually we start to see signs like, I'm not sleeping. My period has gone away. I have no sex drive. I'm exhausted. I'm not a pleasant person most of the time. Right. And so usually someone's getting answers. They're just like, but it must be right because so-and-so does it and that works for her. And so I think the first, the very first thing is really to try to tune the voices out. I always, this might be more of an answer than you were looking for, but I always like to remind people that your brain is always trying to protect you, right? So 100% of the time, your, your brain's job is to try and protect you. And anytime it senses danger, it's going to do whatever it can to sort of hunker down and protect you. And one of our brain's 
best ways to protect us is to keep us is to slow down our metabolism and keep us in this sort of safe, secure place. And so that's not what we want as females trying to change our body composition. But when we start by thinking something's broken or we don't know or attacking our bodies, then our bodies are not going to work with us. So really trying to figure out how we can work with our bodies rather than against our bodies and our brains is something that I want women to start to think about differently. And I, I think it comes from figuring out how to just even consider, not even trust, that's too much, that's too big of a word for most of us, but to consider that maybe my body is trying to tell me something helpful, right? Maybe my body is trying to help protect me in some way. And what could that message be instead of assuming that it's broken? I love it. Thank you so much, Catherine. It's official. Catherine's awesome and has so much knowledge. Here are our three takeaways from our discussion. Number one, Catherine has found that one of the biggest struggles the moms she works with are facing is stress. Mothers are often burdened by having too many things on their minds and not being able to keep up physically and mentally. Catherine works to try and figure out how to make what they eat and their lives less stressful. One suggestion she discussed was meal mapping and not making dinner so complicated. Meal mapping involves identifying a handful of types of meals that you can rotate so that there's repeating ingredients so you know the theme of dinners each week. She suggested using weekends to explore and follow new recipes. Number two, there are some easy and hard suggestions to mitigating stress beyond meal mapping. Some of the harder ways to ease stress are to ask yourself if there's things you can take out of schedule. Are there things that you can prioritize? Are there ways you can ask for help? Are there things you can say no to? Catherine loves breath work because it's readily available to us and is therefore one of the easier suggestions to help alleviate stress. Catherine emphasized taking deep breaths before you eat a meal. Your body uses food differently when in a state of fight or flight stress mode versus a relaxed rest and digest mode. She suggests taking three or more deep breaths to feel your body calm down a bit. You can stop and do 30 seconds of breathing anywhere. She also encouraged individuals to find a healthy balance in regard to stress as it relates to exercise, not overdoing or underdoing, and it's different for everyone, but looking for signs from your body. Are you sleeping well? How is your sex drive? How is your mental state? The same holds true with food. Instead of cutting out major food groups or falling prey to dieting to extremes, it's asking yourself, what are the processes and habits, systems that help me make decisions that feel good? And what are the processes, systems, and habits that don't make me feel as well? Start with language. Remove the black and white, good and bad thinking. What helps you feel your best? Number three, when attempting to instill in our children a positive relationship with their bodies, it's important to teach kids to tune out the noise. Depending on their age, giving them education around the fact that there are people who benefit from them going on a diet and that there's marketing and media making it look enticing. Most importantly, teaching kids what is health. Health is all of the systems integrated and working together. We can't treat one part of the body without thinking about the other parts of the body. It isn't compartmentalized. Taking out language of good and bad and help them focus on exploring food and listening to their bodies, knowing when they're hungry and full and how they feel when eating too much or too little of a particular food. Giving them a better understanding of what different parts of their bodies are useful for making health more individualized rather than lumped together as what they teach in school as good and bad. High five friends, we had so much fun with you. Be sure to hit that subscribe button so you never miss an episode. And don't forget to leave a review. We love hearing what you have to say. Until next time, stay true to you.